Welcome to Daily Defining Moments. This is Pastor Allen, and I'm so glad you're with me. Our goal each day is to help you open your Bible and connect with Jesus. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We're reading through the New Testament portion of the one-year Bible in the New Living Translation. Today is July 25th, and our reading comes from Romans chapter 9. Now, before we jump into our reading, I want you to understand what Romans chapter 9 through 11 is all about. God is talking about his relationship with Israel and the Gentiles. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go through these chapters the next few days. And what we're talking about here is a little bit of a mystery. So for years, theologians have tried to work all of this out and create a system that captures it all perfectly. And the truth is, I think there are great men of God, women of God who love the Word of God, who love Jesus, who really see this very differently. And that's okay. You know, when we talk about God's sovereignty and man's freedom, there's a little bit of a mystery. So what do I mean by God's sovereignty? I mean, God is working to bring about his divine purposes in human history. But at the same time, the Bible says man has a free will. Now, how are those two things possible? If God has a plan that he is bringing to fruition, how can man be free? And if man is free, how can God bring about his plan? Well, that's the mystery. And I would just explain it this way. I believe God in his wisdom and his genius. I believe that God is supernaturally working through the free choices of men and women in order to bring about his divine purpose in the world. This is why the Bible is full of prophecy that has been fulfilled and is continuing to be fulfilled. God said long ago, this would happen and has been working through the freedom of men and women, their free choices to bring about that ultimate purpose. And I just love that. I I think it gives us really a lot of assurance and rest. Our God is sovereign. We can trust him. We can rest in him. He keeps his promise. Now, here's another idea I think that's important to understand. Some people get frustrated with this topic, what we're talking about today and what we'll be talking about in the next couple of days, because they just can't quite get it all straightened out in their mind. And we have to learn. One thing we have to learn as Christians is to be okay with a measure of mystery and uncertainty. When it comes to theology, when it comes to studying and understanding God, there is a limit to our understanding. And when you talk about any number of theological topics, there are men and women who love God, who love the Bible, but who see that theological topic a little differently. And we're generally talking about things that are not core and foundational to our faith, but we're talking about details that we should all feel a freedom to not necessarily see it exactly the same. And I think that's perfectly fine. There are some essentials that we need to agree on that are so foundational to what it means to be a follower of Christ. 
But then there's a lot of non-essentials that we can give each other the liberty to disagree and to try to figure it out. In fact, when I think about my life, I, I graduated from seminary almost 23 years ago. And over the last 23 years, I've learned a lot of new things theologically that I didn't even know then. They weren't even on my radar. And there are some things that have changed theologically as my understanding of the Word of God and my experience with God has helped me to grow and mature. And so that would certainly be true for you. That means in our church, there are people that are just starting out, and then there are people that have been walking with God for years, and we've got to create an environment where there's enough grace for us all to take that journey, knowing that we're going to continue to learn, continue to grow, and some of this will change and evolve over time as we walk with God. Now, when you think about this idea again of a mystery, when we try to answer the question, how can God be sovereign and man be free? One of the things I think we have to keep in mind is that in the mind of a Jew, and the whole Bible is written by Jews. So we have to keep that in mind. So the Bible, Old and New Testament, is written by Jews. And in the mind of a Jew, to really question God that way really is, is, is disrespectful. In fact, Paul captures this in today's reading, chapter 9, verse 17. Listen to Paul's kind of response to that thinking. He says, For the Scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy on some. He chooses to harden the hearts of others, so they refuse to listen. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding to them? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? Paul says, no, don't you say that. Who are you, a mere human, to argue with God? So here's the point is that we're trying to answer a question sometimes that the Bible, because it's written by Jews, never brings up, never asks, and never really sets out to answer. The Bible simply affirms God is sovereign and man is free and really never sets out to help you understand how both of those things could, could be possible. It just asserts that they both are. Now, in this whole theological topic, is the, there are two camps. There's the Calvinist camp, which is just a system, uh, a framework of theology around God's sovereignty. And then there's the Arminian camp. I want to describe these five points that they're trying to clarify that determined which camp you would be in. And I think just kind of gives us a, a theological foundation for the discussion we're having as we read through Romans chapter 9 through 11. The first of the five points is total depravity. Now, the Calvinist says a person is born in sin, totally dead, with no ability to respond to God at all. Total depravity. The Arminian says, well, I believe that man is born in sin. He is depraved. But I also believe the Spirit of God is working in his heart, giving him the capacity to respond to the call of God when it comes. So there's a difference there. Second, election. 
For the Calvinists, they believe it's unconditional election, that God simply chooses some for salvation. They would say we all deserve judgment, but God graciously chooses some for salvation. The Arminian would say, well, we do believe God chooses, but it's not just random. We think he chooses according to his foreknowledge, that God can see into the future who's going to respond and open their heart to Jesus, and he decided beforehand to choose those who he knew in his foreknowledge would choose him. Third, limited atonement. And this is by far the most kind of controversial part of this whole topic. The Calvinist says the atonement, the death of Christ, what he did on the cross, was only for those God chose not for the whole world. The Arminian says, no, 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 no. Jesus died not only for the sins of the elect, not only for the sins of those who will say yes to Jesus. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Then fourth is grace. The Calvinist says grace is irresistible, that when God moves on a person, when God picks them, that they don't even have the capacity to say no to God's grace. He chose them, and it's irresistible. The Arminian would say God does choose, and God does move on hearts, but a man or a woman can decide if he wants to reject that grace. The final idea is perseverance. The Calvinist says because God chose and because it's irresistible, there's nothing you can do to ever lose it. God picked you, and that settles it. The Arminian says, well, God did pick you, but at some point in the future, you decide to reject him, then you can lose your salvation. So with those five topics or those five issues that are all related to God's sovereignty and man's freedom, great, conservative, Jesus-loving, Bible-loving Christians have had a slightly different view on each of those five things. And I'm sure in our church, we have some differences and it's fine. Let's talk about what we all agree on. Number one, we all agree man is born in sin. Number two, the Bible clearly says God chooses some. Number three, I think the Bible is real clear that the death of Jesus on the cross is for everybody. Number four, God clearly says we all need grace. And then number five, if we walk with God, we will persevere to the end. So one of the things that I've just tried to do through the years is emphasize our agreement rather than than emphasizing the things that we potentially would disagree on. Now, from our reading today, I want to highlight just a few verses at the beginning of the chapter. Beginning in verse one, Paul says this, with Christ is my witness, I speak with other truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Now listen to what he says here. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Of course, Paul is a Jew, and he looks at the Jewish nation who rejected Jesus, the Messiah, and he says, my heart is broken. 
In fact, he says this. He said, I would rather give up my own salvation to be cursed by God so that the Jews would see that Jesus is the Messiah and that they would be saved. Man, what passion, right? And I think this is so important as we begin this conversation that we'll be having for the next couple of days. I think it's so important that no matter where we fall on the sovereignty, free will debate, we must all burn with a similar passion because of what Jesus has done for us, because of the salvation we've experienced, because of the relationship we enjoy, because of the promises that we hang on to. Let's ask God to give us a growing passion and a broken heart for those who don't know him yet. So like Paul, no matter where we fall on that theological debate, like Paul, we're giving our lives to telling people the good news about the love of God displayed in the sacrificial death of Jesus that offers us all eternal life. Isn't that good? Let me pray for you. Father, we're so grateful for your grace. I'm so grateful that you are clearly sovereign, that you have been working throughout human history to bring your purpose to pass, to bring in your kingdom, to renew all things. I cannot wait to be in the kingdom of God in heaven and paradise with you and your family forever and ever and ever, you will see it through. I'm so grateful for that. God, and the truth is, I'm grateful for the freedom that we experience, that our relationship with you is not, we're not robots. You didn't just pick us. But Lord, we're choosing to receive and live by your grace. God, we want a relationship with you, and you want this kind of relationship with us, that we love you and motivated by our gratitude, for all that you've done for us. We want to spend our life pursuing you, drawing near to you, becoming more and more like you and representing you in this world. God, give us the same passion that Paul had to tell our world the good news about Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for sticking with me today. I hope you have a great day. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We'll see you again tomorrow.